morning. This morning's scripture passage is taken from Joshua chapter 4, verses 1 to 9 and 19 to 24. That's Joshua 4, 1 to 9 and 19 to 24. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. On the 10th day, of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the twelve stones they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before us until we had crossed over. He did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and so that you might always fear the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. When I was growing up, my family went to a church called Yorkminster Park Baptist Church. And uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's a large cathedral church on Young Street just north of St. Clair Avenue. Uh, Inspired by Yorkminster Cathedral in England, it has, you know, the high ceilings and the pillars and the walls made of limestone, giant stained glass windows. And like all cathedrals, it is designed so that simply standing in the space, your eyes and your thoughts are drawn upwards. It's a physical space designed to make you feel the holiness and the reverence of God. Theology carved in stone. Space artistically crafted to help your mind, body, heart, and spirit lift praise to the Almighty God. Now, in my time there as a kid and as my teen, I had many different experiences of beauty and community and worship in that space. Yet the most powerful personal moment of meeting with God in worship for me actually occurred uh, behind the front wall, sitting uncomfortably perched on baptistry stairs 
beside the controls, the light switches uh, for the the light switches for the worship space was behind a door, uh, where and where I was crouched in this dark stairwell. They were holding a Monday Thursday Tenebrae service. Lots of words there that lots of people won't know. Monday Thursday is the day before Good Friday, so this is part of uh, Easter weekend celebrations. And a Tenebrae service, like it's like the one uh, similar to what we do on Good Fridays here at Spring is where the front of the worship area has many uh, candles that are lit. And as scripture passages of Jesus' final hours are read, the candles are one by one are snuffed out, are, are blown out until the room is left in darkness. Now, of course, in order to have the effect of the room getting darker, remembering that this is a massive space, and so a single candle being snuffed out will have no effect whatsoever on the overall lighting. So in order to have the effect of this encroaching darkness with the snuffing out of each candle, a section of the overhead lights needs to be turned off in time with the readings. Uh, In time, just right, so that when the candle is snuffed, uh, the light, the person hiding behind the wall, turns off a section of lights and the candle snuffing, the whole room gets darker. Well, one year, I was asked to volunteer to be the turn-off the lights person. So here I am, sitting by myself in this little nook of a hallway, uncomfortably perched in the darkness on the stairs, with my ears to a big, thick wood door, uh, and my hand, my ear on the door, and my hand on the lighting controls, listening for breaks in the silence, breaks, breaks in the silence, breaks in the muted sounds of voices to be my cue to turn off the lights. And yet, in this place, away from the beauty of this artistically designed cathedral, not even able to hear the words that were being said, God's Spirit stirred something new within me. God broke my heart for the pain that Jesus was going through, breaking my heart for the pain that my sin caused Jesus and that my sin causes others. And it was It was as if each push of a light switch, I was driving nails into Christ's hands myself. And in that moment, in that dark stairwell, the space between Jesus hanging on the cross and me crouched in this place, the space between Jesus and myself grew thin. Many of us have stories like this, and and Shannon, thank you so much for sharing one of yours. Places where we had an experience where it felt like the distance between heaven and earth seems to collapse, to shrink. Sometimes these experiences are in a uh, random location, like my story. Sometimes they happen in a place where many others before us have had similar experiences. Perhaps places where God has been known to meet with people in special ways that are transcending. Transcending meaning to lift us up and transforming meaning to change us in a significant way. Celtic spirituality has a name for these places and they call them thin places or holy places. For those of us, again, another word, maybe some of us don't know, Celtic spirituality uh, the Celts uh, are, were and are a people um, that had been pushed to the 
let me think, west for you, would push to the western edges of Europe. Uh, and because of this, the island of Ireland uh, during the Roman uh, Empire, uh, the island of Ireland actually remained untouched by the empire. And so it was there in Ireland that the Kel many Celts were, and that's and where the spirituality of the Celts was most uh, developed. And then, uh, and as Abby actually writes about in this month's uh, edition of Delve, in the 5th century, a man named St. Patrick brought Christian belief to Ireland and brought Christian belief to the Celts. But instead of bringing it in a way that destroyed or looked down upon the culture of the Celts, St. Patrick, instead, he learned their language and their stories. He wore their clothes. He shared the good news of Jesus as a message that respected them, that loved them and their culture and so Christ was incarnate within their culture. And as a result of this, Christian spirituality coming from Ireland looks so different than Christian spirituality coming from other parts of the Roman Empire. Because St. Patrick did it completely differently than others were doing. And because of this, one of the greatest gifts of being uh, the gift of being lo uh, love and respect for the land is the gift that Celtic spirituality uh, gives uh, Christianity. And that Christian spirituality is deeper intertwined with creation and how we care for it, um, thanks to Celtic Christian spirituality. Now, as a side note, can you imagine if the Canadian settlers and the government and churches had the same approach when arriving here on Turtle Island. Just how richer and God-honoring our Christian faith as Canadians would have been if they had loved and learnt the ways of Canadians' Aboriginal peoples. Anyway, we'll, we will come back to that in a bit. But it does strike me that anytime we celebrate Celtic spirituality, we are celebrating something that, that Canadians actually historically destroyed the opportunity to have similar, uh, similar understandings of God. One part of Celtic Christian spirituality, again, is this thin places. A thin place where people have these transcending and transforming experiences of the divine. Where, as I said, it feels like the distance between heaven and earth collapses. The space where the common, ordinary, uh, earthly, and the transcendent uh, touch one another. And there are many places in this world where people have had these experiences of the divine en masse in powerful ways. You know, there are world-renowned places of beauty in, in creation, uh, beautiful centers of worship where people have gathered for centuries. There are places like the Camino de Santiago, a trail in Spain that Christians have walked since the ninth century, to Santiago de Compostela Cathedral, uh, where it is believed that St. James is buried. Now, whether or not uh, these things are your cup of tea, Places and pilgrimages like these have been thin spaces for thousands, if not millions, of devoted followers of Jesus. Places where people have had these deep experiences of God. Now, a biblical example of a thin space is, is the story that Garth read for us today. Before the section that Garth read, 
God's people, the Israelites, had been freed from slavery. Then they had wandered in the desert for 40 years. And now they're finally about to enter into the promised land. The land that they were promised flowing with milk and honey. But they were stuck on the wrong side of this wide, powerful river, the River Jordan. Chapter 3, uh, verse 15 and on says, Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. So it's flood stage. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant reached the Jordan River and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing and it piled up in a heap at a great distance away. Skip down a few verses because it describes the land. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and they stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now talk about a transcendent experience. Like the parting of the Red Sea 40 years before, God met the Israelites in a powerful way by miraculously stopping the flow of water so that the Israelites could enter the land that had been promised to them. And to mark this space, to mark this moment, the Israelites gathered 12 stones, a stone to represent each of the 12 tribes. They gathered them from the riverbed and they built a monument a marker that they could return to again and again to remember this amazing work of God. And that this way, no matter what they were going through as a nation or as individuals, they could always return to this marker and be transported back to remember God's faithfulness and the way God had met with them. It would be kind of like Shannon making a pilgrimage back to that little church in Australia. Author Ray Simpson, uh, he writes a lot about Celtic Christianity, and he writes of thin places in this way, or one of the places he writes, he writes this. At the root of the idea of holy places, or thin places, is the incarnation. Now, incarnation is a word which means putting flesh on, or uh, putting substance to something. At the root of the idea of holy places is the incarnation of God in a particular person, in a particular place, at a particular time. Christianity is not just a set of spiritual ideas. It is anchored in what God has done in history. Now, the Israelites marked places where God had worked in their history with monuments like this one at the River Jordan and other altars. Many churches mark thin places where God has worked in their buildings and in their worship spaces. And as individuals, many of us have remembrances of times when God has met with us in a particular place at a particular time. And again, Shannon shared a story with us about a place and time that she experienced this thin place in her life that was foundational in her relationship with God. And I'm glad she used the word transforming, transformational, because I'm going to use that word like 18 times or something. (laughs) Like many in our community, though, now I don't have any grand story of coming to faith in Jesus. Of flashes from heaven where I suddenly know that there is a God. 
Now, some of us do have these moments and these stories. And for those of you who do, I bet when you think back on it, you can picture exactly where you were. It wasn't just the spiritual experience. I bet you could picture the colors around you, the people with you, the feelings that you had, perhaps even the smell of the space or the touch of the the furniture or the land. Now, I don't have any big stories like that. Uh, My faith journey has been uh, slow and gradual. But I do have lots of smaller moments where the space between heaven and earth seemed to shrink. And though these moments don't always come back to me as quickly, when I pause and think and remember, I can be transported back to these places. What I saw, how I felt, what I heard, what I touched. I remember standing in the majestic pantheon in Rome as a shaft of sun beaming through the hole in the ceiling slowly traced the path across the marble sanctuary floor and painting a sense of awe and holiness in my spirit. I remember having spent a year at Ontario Bible College on a search for who I was and what I'm supposed to do in my life. I remember sitting at my parents' small round wooden kitchen table with an old Panasonic radio on the shelf above my head playing a Tom Petty tape, yes, a tape, and feeling, yes, God, I do believe in you. God, this faith isn't just what I was raised to believe in, but it's actually what I believe and I will follow you. I remember standing on the edge of a frozen lake at Muskoka Woods Leadership Studio and looking out across the frozen water towards an island that was shrouded in winter fog and knowing that God was calling me to trust him as he led me into a foggy unknown. Sitting in a seat by the door of an old model TTC subway car, reading a book about the good things God has for us and hearing his call to accept Spring Garden's invitation to stay on as a pastor. Anytime I get on one of those old TTC cars, which is rare, but sometimes they still use them, I'm transported back to that moment. Sitting in our prayer room with Sam and feeling like maybe, just maybe God is calling us to this crazy co-leadership thing. And when I'm transported back to those thin places in my memory or those times when I find myself in the same physical location and the memories and feelings come flooding back, my soul is strengthened. These thin places where I have met with God remind me of why I believe, of who I am, and that yes, even in my doubts and my questions, God is not only real, but God is good. And he has met with me, and he, do so, he will do so again. Where are these places? Some, again, may have these big moments, but for a lot of us, they're just these little moments. Where are these moments in your life? Places that you can return to in your mind, in your spirit, or physically to be reminded of the goodness of God. Now, be honest, like the Israelites and their tendency to perpetually forget the mighty acts of God, I have all kinds of memory problems. When I'm in a place of major doubt or depression, these memories don't come back to me on their own. Even when I try to recall them, it's like these memories have been erased, like Jason Bourne in the Bourne Identity series. Which is why I think it is important like for us, like the Israelites, to find ways to mark the thin places in our lives. 
to pile up stones where we have met with God so that we can return to them and be quickened in our spirits back to that moment and to remember God's goodness and presence. Now, that might be through actual physical things like placing stones or statues or photographs or tattoos. It could be through journaling or photo books or simply marking memories in our, photo, in our folders on our, our phones. But it's important for us to mark these times when God's presence had been made so apparent to us. To be able to look back and revisit those thin places where God has met with us so that we can hold on to them when our faith is dry or full of doubt. And quite frankly, for me, this week has been one of those weeks. I've had to return to thin, my thin places this week, and, if, and on some levels I consider it a grace of God that this, I had to talk about this, that I had to return to these moments uh, in preparation, uh, but that also gave me uh, hope and courage this week. Now, parents of little kids, uh, disclaimer, I am going to talk for a moment of the news that came out of Kamloops this week. Or, um, I am aware of little listening ears. I'm not going to talk about specific details, um, but if your kids have no, uh, well, if they're young enough, they don't really know what I'm talking about anyway or not listening, that's probably fine. But if they don't know anything about residential schools, you might want to just pause for a few minutes and fast forward. But again, I'm not mentioning any of the specifics. Um, as an adult or young adult, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I would encourage you to pause the video and to Google Kamloops 215, K-A-M-L-O-O-P-S 215, or uh, hashtag Every Child Matters. I encourage you to pause, just read one article. Uh, I think it's important that um, we all are aware, but I'm not going to get into the details out of awareness for our little ears. So this discovery of the 215 in the Kamloops residential school grounds has rightfully caused many of us great feelings of anger, of sorrow, and shame. And the fact that these atrocities, this attempted genocide of Aboriginal culture, that this was done by people who worship Jesus is absolutely soul-crushing. Now, sadly, this, this, isn't, this news is shocking, but it isn't new. We've known this. There's nothing new about this moment except for confirmation of what we already knew. But yet, it is in a moment of awakening uh, for us on so many levels. Now, it strikes me that these nuns and these priests who ran these schools seeing the children singing Christian hymns or writing in English, they probably would have seen the children doing these things and thought of it as reason to praise God, thinking that they had saved a child by whitening them a little bit more. And it makes me sick. It makes me question my faith, wondering how the people of God could be so... Well, against God, against everything that God is and stands for, how could this be? And I go back to the story of the Israelites crossing the Jordan. 
On one level, it's a beautiful story. God miraculously brought people safely through a raging river, and they set up a marker to remember the sacred thin space. But on another level, this was the watershed moment that the Israelites entered the land and set out to commit genocide against thousands of people, many different people groups. This is a moment of genocide watershed. Like our Canadian ancestors, they entered the land to take it in the name of God and they set out to destroy the people and the culture of those who were there before them. Is this really who God is? Or perhaps do we need to take a moment and maybe... I think we've known this moment is coming and many of us had wrestled this before. But if you've never wrestled with this before, it is another reawakening to consider the lens with which we interpret our scriptures and with which we interpret the Old Testament. Now, I think the Old Testament is rightfully part of scripture. I affirm it as part of scripture and as part of uh, what God, God's book for us And that has much to show us about God and to encourage us in our faith. But the way it has been interpreted in the past has actually made allowance for genocide throughout Christian history. Including with this last century. So it's not long ago. Within the last century, within the last 60, 70 years, these scriptures have been used to in apartheid in apartheid in South Africa and in Canada's residential schools to justify coming into the land and and committing genocide and we cannot be okay with that and I do not think that God is okay with that we are provided an opportunity here and now again not new just a reminder and a remembrance that we need to do better as a nation and especially as Canadian Christians. And I think part of that starts with how we interpret the scriptures. But that's, there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of work to be said on this and we will continue the conversation in this work. But for today, I want to leave you with this. Our faith in the church should be shaken up. The Kamloops 215 should cut us to our very core. But I do not believe for a moment that God was complicit in the residential school system. I do not believe for a minute that God was active and participating in the residential school system, no matter how much Christians at the time might have thought that he was. I think there's a place to pause and think about perhaps where our thin places uh, are, is it God? If our thin places are causing harm or destruction or genocide, it's not God. So I think we need to pause and reflect on these things. If there ever was a time, though, that we need to hold on to our faith in God, who is love, it is now, in these moments. To hold on to faith that God is love, God is grace, God is mercy, God is compassion. Even the God of the Old Testament is on the side of the oppressed and the orphans and the widows and the silenced. God is on the side of the victims of cultural genocide. And God opposes the wicked even when the wicked are those who claim to know him and speak his name. 
It is in these moments, though, that we need to hold on to and revisit the thin places where God's presence transcended and transformed us. Our shared stories as communities and as families and as people and our personal individual stories so that we will remember that God is who he says he is even when God's people aren't who he says we are to be. I think it is in remembering these thin places, remembering that God called us and loves us, God's spirit is ever for us and with us, It is here we receive the courage to continue on and to remember that God is good. And it is here in holding on to our faith that causes us to go out and to be used by God to help foster thin places for others. Thin places where reconciliation, justice, repentance, and forgiveness, listening and embracing can happen. I encourage you to take some time today or this week to mark the thin places where God has met you, has called to you, to encourage you and lift you in your faith. And that these thin places will continue to inspire and encourage all of us in the work of making our homes, our city, our nation, thin places of faith, hope, love, and reconciliation. Let's pray. God, our hearts break. Um, our hearts break. There's a lot in the world um, that gives reason for our hearts to break. And as a nation, once again, we are reminded of the, just the terrible things in our history as Canadians. And as Christians. And God, we repent of these things. Even though uh, us, we were not there at the time. Well, you know, some of us, I mean, the residential schools, Lord, as you know, haven't been closed for that long. Some of us have been alive during that time. We repent. Repent meaning to turn away from, to go in a new direction. We repent of these atrocities of this history. And we turn ourselves towards you, God, who is a God of love, of grace, and of mercy, and of reconciliation. We praise you, God, as one who meets with us, as one who loves us, who in Jesus came to restore all peoples to you. Help us to know what it means to love you. Help us to shed the things of our faith and of our Christian culture that are just culture and aren't the good news of Jesus. Help us to shed these things that we would not Impose them on others and help us to work for reconciliation in Canada, in Toronto, in our homes, and in our hearts. We thank you that you meet with us. Amen.